I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Kayla Branch. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us this week as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. The November 3rd election is less than one week away, and we want to make sure our listeners are prepared to cast their ballots. All of our weekly episodes leading up to the election will focus on local and statewide races. This week, over 100 candidates are running for seats in the state legislature. We'll find out how the makeup of the legislative body could change. State government reporter Carmen Foreman is back with us to talk about major themes in legislative races during this election cycle. Republicans are hoping to successfully pick up several seats currently held by Democrats. Now, Carmen, which races are particularly vulnerable to being flipped from blue to red? Yeah, that's a great question, and that always seems to be what folks want to know. Um, I would say that there are not a lot of seats in the Oklahoma City metro area that are likely to be flipped from red to blue, but there are a couple seats in the Tulsa area that folks are really eyeing, that Democrats are putting a lot of effort into. Um, So Senate District 35 in Tulsa that used to be Senator Gary Stanislaski's seat and he retired so it's an open district and it's Republican Cheryl Baber is running against um Democrat Joanna Dossett, who is um, Senator J.J. Dossett's sister, um, and is a really contentious seat. There's a lot of money being poured in there because Democrats think they could flip that one. Um, There's also a House district near Bartlesville, and again, it's an open seat because the um, House Republican, Daryl Fincher, um, he did not win his primary. So now it's um, Democrat Emily Tyndall going up against a Republican, um, and I'm spacing on her name, but um, Democrats think that they might be able to either get that one close or flip it. Now, there are a couple seats in the OKC metro where Republicans think they can flip Democratic seats. And so one of those districts is House District 83, which I just happen to live in. Um, That's like the village and some of North OKC. I think it maybe even touches a teeny bit of Edmond, um, but it's represented by Democrat Chelsea Branham, and she's uh, only been in for one term. And she's being opposed by a Republican named Eric Roberts. Um, and people are, Republicans are really saying that, um, Eric might be able to flip the seat. Um, there's also, uh, Mickey Dolenz's district in Oklahoma city. That's South Oklahoma city. Um, he's a Democrat. And the weird one with that is that, um, the Republican opposing him also used to represent that district. Um, and then he stepped down, um, two terms ago to run. He ran twice for Oklahoma County Sheriff and lost. And this is Republican Mike Christian. Um, And so Republicans are saying that they think Mike Christian might be able to flip the seat back. I think you might have touched on this in your previous answer here, but are there any potential seats that could go from red to blue in Oklahoma? Yeah, red to blue, definitely. Senate District 35, um, the Gary Stanislaski seat. Um, There are a couple I didn't mention before down in Lawton. Democrats are really trying to eye the the Lawton metro area um, because, you know, when I talk to Republicans and Democrats in the House that are helping with re-election efforts, both sides essentially said, you know, Democrats do well in urban areas and Republicans overwhelmingly win in rural areas. And so 
Um, Democrats are looking at the lot in Metro. Um, there are a couple seats down there. There's a, a young Democrat named Kyle Moraz, and he's um, he's basically an ICU nurse, and he's really trying to capitalize on this, um, you know, COVID pandemic and saying, you know, well, I I could handle this better because you know I'm in the hospital. I'm taking care of COVID patients. Um, and then there's a Democrat who's running against um, Republican Representative Daniel Pei, who is also pretty young. And, you know, he's actually he's not, you know, super conservative. He's definitely more of a, a moderate. Um, but Democrats are still eyeing that district as well. I, you know, I think the chances of them flipping those seats are pretty tough, though. If the GOP does pick up more seats and presumably if Democrats are able to steal a couple as well. How does that affect the power balance once Republicans and Democrats get back to the state capitol? That is a great question. And one I was wondering earlier this week as well. Um, So right now, the Republicans have a supermajority in both the House and the Senate. And, um, you know, earlier this session, it became a big deal when the governor vetoed the budget bills and then he vetoed a bunch of other bills as well. And so the legislature like immediately was like, well, we're not going to stand for this. So they went back in and they did veto overrides. And so you need a two thirds majority in both chamber to do the veto overrides. And Republicans have such a majority that they can do those overrides totally on their own. Um, it becomes a little more difficult when you want like a three-fourths vote on something, which um, a good example would be like to pass a tax increase. You have to have a three-fourths majority in both chambers. Um, but, you know, when I asked Republicans in the House, I was basically like, you know, what what do you gain by having more Republicans when you already have so many Republicans in the House and the Senate? And they basically said that their argument is seats and districts that are controlled by Democrats don't really have a seat at the table right now because the budget is largely crafted by Republicans. Republicans overwhelmingly decide which bills get heard um, on in committees, on the floor, which make it to other chambers, which ones are the priorities. And so they argued that by electing more Republicans, more districts will ha- essentially have a bigger say in the legislative process. You know, there are districts in the heart of Oklahoma City, though, that will absolutely never go Republican. And so that's when, you know, you elect a Democrat and you you kind of just have to hope that they are able to work in a bipartisan fashion to maybe get things done. Now, educators have been running for office at increasing rates in the state in recent years, starting in 2016 and really picking up in 2018 after the statewide teacher walkouts, which were related to pay and school resources. Uh, But this year, that isn't the case. So talk a little bit about why, why that's not happening. Yeah, so this year we're seeing about half as many teachers um, run for legislative office than ran two years ago. And obviously two years ago was a total anomaly with the teacher walkout, teachers storming the Capitol. There was just this intense feeling of we have to do something now. And two years later, I think there were so many teachers that were elected or Um, you know, former educators, former school administrators. Um, There are about two dozen teachers in the legislature. Um, So I think 
the education community felt like they made some ground with that. And um, the other thing is that, you know, the legislature kind of started to listen more after the teacher walkout. And I think they were starting to listen more, you know, when the threat of the teacher walkout was coming. But you've noticed that, okay, so they gave very large teacher pay raises. And then the following year, they gave about $1,200 in teacher pay raises. And then even this most recent year, when um, state agencies faced budget cuts, they they tried to cut the Department of Education and cut education funding the least of any of the state agencies. So, you know, education advocates really said that their message has gotten across into the legislature and they don't feel like it's an absolute necessity to keep running people for office um, because they already have influence up there and um, they don't necessarily need more at this point in time. But there, I mean, there still are more than 50 or, you know, at the start, start of this election cycle, there were more than 50 educators that were trying to run for office and there are still some in the running. Like you just said, Carmen, teachers got a win after the walkout when the legislature approved pay raises of $6,100 and then a year later, another increase of 1200 But still, Oklahoma's funding for public schools hasn't recovered to pre-recession levels, and that's with the student population increasing in that decade. Even with fewer educators running for office, are education advocates feeling confident that lawmakers already at the Capitol will continue to push for more funding? Or could we see them people at the Capitol let their foot off the gas with fewer teachers challenging them for seats. Yeah, um, I definitely think that education advocates feel confident that the folks who are in leadership at the Capitol are going to make education a priority as much as they can. I mean, the reality is we're going into a bad budget year where the state is not going to have a lot of money, um, especially probably not for teacher pay raises. But, um, you know, I just so happened to interview Senate pro tem Greg Treat recently because he's um, being challenged as he runs for re-election this cycle. And I asked him about the education issue and he basically basically said, you know, after the teacher walkout and that, you know, series of special sessions and horrible votes that they had to take to raise taxes, that was really hard. And he basically said, we never really want to see that again. Anybody that worked through that and lived through that and was up at the legislature through that does not want to see that happen again. And so he basically doubled down and was like, you know, I think education is going to be a priority 100% going forward. They want to, they always say, you know, protect the investments that they've made in education, um, namely those teacher pay raises. And I, I think they're looking to cut education funding the least if cuts have to be made. Now, the legislature could see an influx of diverse candidates, and you've covered a few specific races where if a candidate wins, they could be the first or one of the first representatives from a particular demographic at the state capitol. So tell us a little bit about these races and these candidates. Yeah, um... So in Oklahoma City, in a couple of Oklahoma City districts, um, you, we have a real chance to see 
two very diverse candidates enter the legislature, and they're almost likely, almost guaranteed to win because these are very Democratic-leaning districts. And so I'm specifically talking about, um, you know, Democrat Marie Turner, who's in the sort of the heart of Oklahoma City. Um, her district covers, well, not that she's elected yet, but the district she's running for covers the Plaza District, the Paseo District. Um, and Marie is, um, she's black. She um, is gay. She is a Muslim. And if she wins her election next week, she'd be the first Muslim legislator in Oklahoma, period. Um, and so, you know, I talked to somebody this week from from CARE Oklahoma, you know, the, the Muslim advocacy group. And they just said that they are freaking thrilled that they have come this close to having a Muslim legislator because, you know, they just think it's so important that, you know, they have an annual Muslim day at the Capitol where folks of all ages, all stripes, you know, they come to advocate for Muslim issues. And they just think it would be so awesome to be able to go up to the Capitol and have a Muslim legislator that, you know, not only kids Muslim children can look up to and think, oh, I want to be that someday. I want to do that someday. But, you know, adults can go to when they have a problem. And if it's a Muslim specific problem that they have somebody they can relate to. And they also pointed out that it's very important that she, not only is she Muslim, but she looks Muslim and she dresses in that way. She wears a hijab. Um, And so she's very recognizably Muslim. Um, You know, I asked sort of about, like, could that change the climate at the legislature? Because, you know, we've had some issues in the past where um, lawmakers may have not been that accepting of having Muslim prayers. Um, Former Governor Mary Fallon would never go to Muslim Day at the Capitol. And then when Governor Kevin Stick got elected, uh, his first year up there, he showed up and he was like, well, I don't see what the big deal is, you know? And so they have some hopes that it could maybe change sort of the impression that some folks have of Muslims. Um, Anyway, so that's one district. And then in South Oklahoma City, there's Democrat Jose Cruz, who's running for a House district that used to be represented by Shane Stone, um, who is white. And the interesting thing is that district is overwhelmingly Latino. It's a very heavily Hispanic district. So the chance to have a Hispanic represent such a Hispanic district. I think that's really exciting for folks in the district um, to, you know, have somebody who looks like them representing them up at the state capitol. I also want to ask about women running for office. Tell us just what's the situation for women running for legislative seats just generally? I think we've seen over the past few years maybe that there's been this greater emphasis on women running for office and women winning when they run for office. And, you know, there's a whole litany of research that we could talk about, about how basically, you know, it's harder for women to get motivated to run for office. They run um, less often because they feel like either they're not qualified enough or they have to be told a bunch of times to run or they have so many duties otherwise that they, you know, might feel like they're stretched too thin. Whereas, you know, men are just kind of like, sometimes they just wake up one day and they're like, I should be elected to blah blah office. And so it's just a little different dynamic. Um, so it's, it's early to say that um, the legislature could add more female members in, um, you know, following this election. But it, I think it's very possible, right? So if we 
just take all the seats that currently have women elected officials, all the women um, representatives and women senators that are running for re-election. Let's just hypothetically say they all keep their offices. Well, um, the, then we have a few districts where that are open seats where it's women running against women. So it's a woman Republican challenging a woman Democrat. And so regardless of the outcome, we will add a woman to the legislature. So a good example is Senator Paul Scott's district um, down in Duncan, I believe. So he lost his primary to a woman, a Republican woman named Jessica Garvin. And now heading into the general election, Jessica Garvin faces a female Democrat. Her name is Terry. I am blanking on her last name. Um, but so that's that's a district where, you know, regardless of which political um, you know, candidate they choose, that's going to be another woman in the legislature. Same for the Bartlesville district where it's Democrat Emily Tyndall. She, it's another open seat that was represented by a man and Emily Tyndall is running against a Republican woman. Also the same for Gary Stanislavski's seat that is, you know, female Cheryl Baber running against female Joanna Dossett. So that's at least three districts that women are guaranteed to pick up. Um, you know, there is some question of like, you know, will all the female incumbents keep their seats? Like I mentioned, um, House District, it's 83, the one that I live in that is represented by Chelsea Branham. She is Native American. She's a woman. So she's, um, but, you know, she could be beat by essentially a white man. And, you know, I'm not saying that anybody should elect their candidates based solely on their gender or their diversity or whatever. You know, obviously you want to consider the whole package and, you know, if you identify as a Republican, you know, her opponent is going to be the one you vote for. Um, but there are some opportunities for women to pick up seats and we have a legislature that is overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly made up of white men. So the idea of seeing a little more diversity up there is is kind of nice. Yeah, women make up half of the state's population. Would be definitely interesting to see if they're able to gain some ground in a legislative body where they only make up a fraction of the representatives. Um, Carmen, thanks so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate your insight into what's going on, all things Capitol. Yay, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.